You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. This is your host, Stephen Novella, President of the New England Skeptical Society, and today is Wednesday, March 28, 2007. Joining me this evening are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Rebecca Watson. Hello, everyone. Perry DeAngelis. Good evening. Jay Novella. Hey, guys. And Evan Bernstein. And I want to wish everyone a happy Teacher's Day to our listeners in the Czech Republic. Happy Teacher's Day, everyone. So, so, Evan, I'm noticing a theme here. Every week you find some obscure holiday or commemoration that happens to be the day we're recording. That one was definitely the worst. I wouldn't call it every day. Teacher's Day in the Czech Republic? <laughs> Teacher's Day in the Czech Republic. Rebecca, That's the how best does you the, can a do? vegetarian celebrate this now? Where do you go, where do you oh, go with this? You know, let's not go there, okay? <laughs> you sure it's the Czech Republic and not the Union of Slovakia, Evan? You know, it's two, two different places now. Uh, Slovakia, comma, Czech Republic. So apparently it's both. <laughs> I guess. So I apologize to both of our Slovakian listeners out there. <laughs> Thank you. And happy Teacher's Day to both of you. Get your geography right. Evan, did you spend three bucks on some extra uh, calendar or something? Where are you getting these? No, I'm just a font of useless information. That's all. Magic of the internet. So we have a very interesting interview coming up later in the show uh, with David Seaman, who is a chiropractor. Yes, we we actually know it's interesting because we've already done it. Now, Perry, you're not supposed to say that. Destroying the magic. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. (laughs) Sometimes we record the interview first. Uh, Something tells me it's going to be a very interesting interview. Um, But before that, let's start with some news. Uh, Former Arizona Governor Fife Symington states that he was a witness to the huge Phoenix Lights phenomenon 10 years ago, and he thinks they were UFOs. Was this, the lights? this is the Lights Over Phoenix phenomenon, This right? is the Lights right. Over Phoenix, the Phoenix Lights. Now, 10 years ago, it was observed um, at night ago. over the city of Phoenix, Arizona, a formation of, of points of light sort of hovering in the air. They were seen by thousands, tens of thousands of people. There's video and pictures. Oh, yeah. Uh, they slowly disappeared. And this was a, this was a big UFO flap at the time. Now it's been thoroughly investigated, and you know the first the ufologists thoroughly em- embarrassed themselves by saying all kinds of ridiculous things. My favorite one is is the is the investigator who did a spectral analysis of a picture of the lights uh-huh. and, and used that wow. as. To determine that it was of an unearthly or unusual... He discovered they were made out of photographic paper? Right, right. (laughs) And that was likened to doing a chemical analysis of a picture of a rock. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's good work, boys. Um, Steve, I was talking to uh, my friend Michael Ordicelli that lives in Phoenix... About this, yeah. What, what does he know? Is he there? Ago. No, I, we were just. He, he was actually listening to a local radio broadcast, and he uh, he. Pl- the way the conversation started was he, he basically recorded on my cell phone um, about five minutes of the of the broadcast, and it was a total train wreck. These people were talking about the dumbest crap. Like they were they were switching pseudosciences left and right. You know, they're right, talking about right, the UFOs, right. and then they're, they, they, <laughs> then they were going into homeopathy. They're going all over the board. And Birds you, of a feather. You just got to believe type talk. You know. Yeah, yeah. The last thing he said that we were, we were talking about, and this is just the one point I want to make, was that 
There's absolutely no physical evidence. The only thing that they have on this on this case is some footage. But these people are claiming all of these facts about it, and they they there's no way to corroborate any of the any of the claims that they're making. Yeah, but actually, Jay, we have a lot more because we know exactly what these things were, right? right. At the at the time, the Air Force was running a training mission, and they dropped a number of flares at that place and time. The flares are on little parachutes. They just float down slowly. Uh, and, of course, they were in the formation of the, of the jets that dropped them. And the video of the Phoenix lights, of these lights, um, shows that they wink out, they disappear as the flares drop below the mountain range that was right there. And in fact, if you superimpose a daytime picture over the nighttime footage, you could see that the, the flares wink out exactly when they drop behind the mountain range. So we have the Air Force testimony. The, it's absolutely consistent with the footage. It definitely proves that they were behind uh, the mountain range. These were flares. There's really no question about yeah, this. Yeah, Steve, even the pilot of one of the aircraft, Lieutenant Colonel Ed Jones, said, yeah, I, it was me. I, you know, I, I made <laughs> I the order. Right. I, right. I gave the order, jettison the flares. I mean, come on. This, this guy says, well, of course, he's part of the conspiracy, I suppose. Yeah, you have to just dismiss all this evidence as part of a conspiracy. He could have right? been but under hostile alien threat. You don't know about This governor says it couldn't have been flares because it was too symmetrical. No, he no he he also yeah he also said it's inexplicable uh-huh. inexplicable this little inexplicable argument, argument from ignorance perhaps he made statements to the effect that you know why hasn't the air force you know, made any statements about this because you're an idiot because they have they said exactly <laughs> what these things were so you know if you're not going to actually even know the facts of the case then you then you're setting yourself up to just be embarrassed yeah he, he's quoted as saying who knows where it came from a lot of people saw it and I saw it too. Well, we know where it came from in this case. So this this is explained, explicable, whatever. This is uh, again. It's, this is a good classic uh, case in, in terms of the you know, UFO believers going out of their way to squander their credibility and embarrass themselves. Steve, you know what would be cool if they did it again, just to show that. Hey, everybody, at 8 o'clock tonight, take a look out your window. You, we're going to duplicate the lights over Phoenix. This is exactly how yeah. we did it. Yeah, why bother? Yeah, I think that would make it worse because I, then they, they, and I could tell you exactly what they would say. Why would they go through all that trouble unless they were covering something up? Right. Yeah. That's what they would say. Because the they, they've, they've said the same about other, about other incidents. Whenever you try to actually do that, anything you do just proves the conspiracy, right? I've got I to gotta throw one good quote out here that, this, uh, that the, the, the governor said. This one is pretty compelling. He said, in your gut, you could tell it's otherworldly. I mean, that's all. What else do you need? You know, if your gut's telling you it's out of this world, then done. The, the other bit of UFO news in the last week was that the, the French government released a massive UFO database. Basically, you know, their government's, you know, UFO f- files. Their X-Files. Les yeah. Blue Book. The French have a government? <laughs> the French have a David <laughs> Duchovny? <laughs> so apparently there's uh, 100,000 documents on this database that they basically just opened up. And it took about three hours for the server to crash because of everyone accessing it. Or aliens accessing it. <laughs> also, it was French technology. So, you know. <laughs> French technology? 
<laughs> At least it didn't surrender. I was about to say, shouldn't you be wow. saying it surrendered? Ha, ha, ha. You're a little late on the joke, Rebecca. Okay, back up. Uh, you're a little late on the joke, like 10 years late. Excuse me. It's dead. Stop beating the dead horse. Did you guys Did you guys hear, did you read about the what was considered the most credible case in, in these uh, files? I did not. Yeah, it was a That's Lights Over Phoenix, right? Phoenix. Yeah, <laughs> French aliens? <laughs> okay, go ahead, Bob. What was it? Well, just briefly, the most credible case, apparently, was uh, this, this story from a 13-year-old boy and 9-year-old girl that, that saw these four small black beings, 47 inches tall, kind of like floating in the air, going through the, the ship and stuff. And then, and then, of course, they ran home crying to their, to their mommy and daddy saying that what happened. So when the police got there, they found a sulfurous odor and dried grass at the reported place where the sphere took off. Now, that is the most con- credible evidence that they have after how many how many entries are in this database? 1,600? 16,000, wow. yeah. was yep. it? 1,600, that, that's, yep. that's the best. That's the creme de la creme right there. That's Sulfur it. and dried grass. Smoking gun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Has our country opened themselves up to a whole bunch of documents and stuff? I think we did some kind of recent... Uh purging of ufo they there was project project blue book, blue book. Yeah, there was they, they made that public right oh, it's, yeah. Not in yeah. a, it's not in an online database which i think is what this is the first of but ah. yeah i mean they've they've unclassified or declassified a lot of the the ufo files as well next news item uh, this week apparently the great is it great grandson or great grand nephew of great grand nephew houdini great grand nephew of houdini is asking to have Houdini's body exhumed because he suspects that he was poisoned and he wants to he wants an autopsy to be done to, to see if he was in fact murdered. I'm okay the with The story it. is, yeah, who cares, right? I mean, that's why it'd be nice to, to do it. It's evidence. Kids I don't think Houdini's going to mind. Yeah. No. So the, the point is that you know, at the time, you know, uh, the, Houdini had a lot of enemies, many of them in the spiritualist community, because he was very active in, in sort of exposing sp- the spiritualists of the time as being you know, sh- tricksters and hoaxers. When he he died, it was sort of sudden and unexpected, and no autopsy was ever done. So he's just saying, you know, how do we know one of these guys, one of his enemies, didn't murder him? We need to finally put you know put this issue to rest. I didn't know what that there was an issue. That urban legend of the guy came up and punched him before he could tighten his stomach and all that. It's, no, that's Hollywood. That, that's not what that, really That's happened. just Hollywood. Where did he Wait, die no, from? That, that actually happened. He actually did get punched in the stomach. It's just yeah, he, he did. didn't die immediately. It, 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 yeah, it, was like, yeah. it was like three days, three days ahead of time. Okay. But Steve, honestly, what can they – guy is a, is a rotted corpse and what could they figure out from that? Unless he has a cracked skull or something, right? Traces of poison in the system. Yeah, you can still find traces of poison in the tissue. Yeah, I mean, th- there wouldn't even be a corpse left. Wouldn't he just be like a black stain? No, he'd be he'd be pretty well. Like there'd be enough remains left. They took remains of a president uh, not too long ago, a couple of years ago. Polk Lincoln. Was it, was no, it they, Lincoln? No, no. Lincoln. They showed that they were, well. They they did because they were looking to see if he had Marfan's syndrome. When did Houdini die? Houdini died in 1927. So he's been dead for a very. Oh, I'm sorry. 1926. He died on Halloween, 1926, at the age of 52. So it's 81 years later. Yeah, I mean, what would be left? Even if you were in a in an airtight, depending on the conditions. I mean, if if he was buried properly, he could be he could be nice and fresh. Yeah, there yeah. there could be plenty left. Plenty enough, right? Even if it's just a big stain, you could still get some, you know, some sort of tissue to study. Here we go. So, in it was actually Zachary Taylor, and in 1991, they exhumed his remains. Why? To find out if he was poisoned. 
That's right. To find out if he was poisoned. Was he? he the same arsenic time. poisoning. Um, no, was he wasn't. Damn arsonist. He was not. Right. Uh, but they also did it to Napoleon. They dug him up and they found that he did have poison in his system. And his was also quite a while after he had been dead. Uh, longer than Houdini's been dead, I'm pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they, they tested him and found that, um, I think they found that the English had been poisoning him slowly over the years. So it's, it's definitely possible. The last news item is uh, a follow-up. Died of Moida. You guys all remember the story of the Buddha, Buddha boy. boy. Yeah. Yes, Buddha which we've been following. Namaste. Uh, namaste. namaste. So this is uh, <laughs> a, a young lad in Nepal, I believe, who uh, his uh, followers claim has been meditating under a tree without eating or drinking for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he disappeared. when they close the curtain every night. I mean, this story is so st- Stupid. Yeah, yeah, it, had, gets, it gets yeah, better. <laughs> he disappeared for a while because the, the crowds were getting too much for him. <laughs> the crowds were getting too much for him. <laughs> he leans over to the guy next to him. How the hell am I supposed to pretend I'm not eating and going to the bathroom with all these people around here? <laughs> I'm really hungry. Get rid of him. <laughs> well, Buddha Boy has reappeared. And now he's saying that he wants to be buried alive. While meditating. You know, when you say it like that, sorry, but I think of Bat Boy from the Weekly yeah. World News. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just keeps appearing. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, boy. go on. But that's, I just thought you should all know picture. what's in my head. You know what's lame about this <laughs> news story is how many magicians and every how many people have buried themselves alive? It's not even remotely interesting anymore. <laughs> I mean, even Houdini pro- did it for 80 years. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so his followers have already started digging an eight-foot-deep trench. Oh, God. The trench will then be filled. This is He's replicating a lot of the a- Asian religious traditions. So this one, there are tales of you know holy men being buried alive. So this is, you know, I guess, a traditional thing to do for, for Buddha boys. Steve, I think I've got more up-to-date information than you. From DNAindia.com, apparently he's already meditating in a bunker-shaped ditch cemented from all sides with the with the roof made of tile having seven feet high and equal width so apparently he's in there as we record he's already there and and they're not apparently they're not going to they're fill not going to fill it not at this point in time he's just kind of sitting in the empty pit wait meditating. so he's just sitting in a hole and yeah, that's his thing right why do we care about this adolescent emaciated Buddha boy, yeah, extra extra mean? boy sits in a ditch. What, who cares? Because he hasn't been he hasn't been kicked off American Idol yet. Oh wait, long story. Sorry, oh. Sorry. we care because the, he's an idiot and he's funny. That's why we care. Can we go throw All things right. at him? Like at least when David Blaine did it, he did it you know right there in London, so he could chuck crap at him. That's true. <laughs> I think we should have a field trip. I'm trying. I'm trying to get into his head though. And think of what this guy's thinking. Now, does he like have like a secret tunnel under there now where they can slip him uh, some whoppers and stuff? Or also, it's difficult for his thousands of followers to see him in a ditch. So, so what, what's well, he thinking? Well, I don't think he could afford a glass Bob, box over the I don't tents. think there are that many whoppers in Katmandu. Bob, <laughs> the assumption that he's thinking yeah, that's, is a big one, Yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> well, he got him headlines again, so that's, that may be the ultimate, uh, right. ultimate purpose of it all. I'm a big fat guy. If I dig a ditch and sit in my front yard, are they going to come and uh, will I make no. the drudge report? I don't know. I think you should try, though. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I look a hell of a lot more like Buddha than that. Chum. <laughs> Bury in a ditch, minute three. 
<laughs> Starting to get hungry. <laughs> Someone call Geraldo Rivera. Why why are other people fascinated to the point where they follow someone who sits there and does nothing? Jay, why did they go look at freaking grease stains that look like the mother of Jesus? Uh, you know, I mean, come on. Perry, we got to give him something to really chew on. We got to give him you, man. Because people lead lives of quiet desperation. That's why. I'm desperate. Yeah, I'm like you lot. Well, let's move on to your emails. First email comes from Adam G. from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he writes, After listening to number seven, I have two issues. One, painting all animal rights activists with a single brush, and two, PETA wants all pets released. As for number one, I am a longtime vegan and animal rights activist, and I completely and I am completely against the uh, Animal Liberation Front and whatever organization that guy is from who wants to euthanize the bear cub. He speaks only for himself and maybe his organization. I cannot find one mention of the name of his group. I am surprised you guys are falling into the same trap as MSM and reporting this as he represents all of the animal activists. As for number two, please cite where you got the information from. All I can find was anti-PETA websites that make that claim and nothing to back it up. Here's a fact I found on PETA's website to, and, uh, to look for an answer to number one. It seems like they are more against puppy mills and cruelty to, to domesticated animals and not the release of your pet, dog, or cat into the wild. Uh, he says, how many logical errors and fallacies were created in this podcast? I'm writing this because I am a big fan of your show. Yes, even Perry can be funny sometimes. But I was really disappointed in the handling of this issue. Thank you. So I actually had a few emails back and forth with Adam just to, to clarify some points. On, on the one factual claim that PETA advocates the release of pets into the wild, it is true that they do not do that, on, at least on any of their literature that I could find, and certainly not on their websites. But they do make a series of claims. They, they are certainly against pet ownership. What, what they advocate is that pets, that we should stop all breeding of, pre- of pets that those pets that already exist should be uh, essentially um, rescued and taken care of, uh, but, but there should be no breeding of pets. They should basically be you know, rescued from the street or wherever else they would end up if they were let out. And, and Steve, you know, not only is, is that their claim, but also representatives of PETA have said things in the past that can easily be mistaken as meaning that they want to release pets into the wild and i think that that's where that got started yeah they've they've said things like and i I have a quote from um elliot katz president of in defense of animals said it is time we demand an end to the misguided and abusive concept of animal ownership the first step on this long but just road would be ending the concept of pet ownership and when they say things like that without clarification or just stopping it there it's people kind of take that as a natural progression. Absolutely. I also think that... I'm not sure. What is the ultimate goal of the policy? To end pet ownership. Of what policy? Yeah. And, and to do what with cats and dogs? Well, their, an their, their point is that they should that we should neuter all of the animals, all of the domesticated animals, not breed anymore, and eventually, because they're not breeding anymore, because they're all neutered, eventually they will be no more. Right. And then animals will only exist in the wild. That's their ultimate goal. So, all right. So the goal of the policy is to get rid of cats and yes. dogs. Yes. Ultimately, yeah. Right. But they're not saying set them all free. At least, at least not PETA. But no, they're not saying anything as cruel as set them free. They're saying make them extinct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Basically, yeah, and much better. They, all, they much also better. Okay. do euthanize a lot of animals themselves. I mean, they do. <laughs> they they say they if animals can't be taken care of humanely or they're 
broken, tortured animals, by their own definition, they will euthanize them. So they, they will kill animals in, in certain situations, which, again, I, I think is perfectly fine uh, in and of itself. Uh, they also they – also, Rebecca, you, you quoted somebody who actually was, – was that from PETA or from some other animal activist That was group? from – Elliot Katz, who's president of In Defense of Animals, right. and I believe that they are associated so, with PETA, so but not PETA. Part of the complexity here is that there's actually dozens, if not more, of these groups with right. various policies. And I, PETA has the big name, so I'm sure a lot of things that get said just people associate with PETA because that's the group people know. So that's another yeah. generation of confusion. Let me just say that PETA supports a lot of these organizations yes. and does it, oftentimes does it uh, secretly or in a slightly clandestine and a little shady matter, yeah. uh, manner. There's also so, lots of instances where research animals get set free into the wild. So that happens. Again, I don't know right. if in each case it's happened at my own institution. I, I don't know if it was PETA people per se. Well, that's often like Animal Liberation Front who PETA has directly funded a lot of their ventures and has publicly stated that it's a good organization and that the uh, some of the terrorists who run it are, you know, f- a fine young man is the, the quote that gets repeated most often. You know, a lot of them were swept up in a uh, FBI sting called Operation Backfire, which um, arrested a lot of members of the ELF um, and the and the ALF. Uh, there's still a, some of them at large and stuff, but but Operation Backfire got a lot of convictions in 2006. Reading the reading the actual link that Adam sent me, and I pointed this out to him, that they're I think they're being a little coy because they're trying to massage their public image. Because even though they they're saying we definitely they that they're not you know advocating releasing animals into the wild. If you read what they do recommend, they basically don't like anything that pet owners do. So you can't do any of the specific things that you would have to do to be a pet owner, but they're not saying that you should get rid of your pet. Like you can't keep birds in cages, you can't keep animals in the house or on a leash or blah, blah, blah. You know, so – I, I think a lot of a lot of their own. That's not true. They do they do say that you can keep animals in the house and on a leash. No, well, not the side. They, I said they said they don't. They think it's cruel to keep a dog on a on a on a chain. They say don't keep it on a chain outside. On a chain that outside. That's cruel, what, that's but, what I read. Yeah. Right, but they they do say that you can put a, a dog or a cat on a leash to take it outside, and they do say that you should keep animals inside. And for the record, until they become extinct. Yeah, well, yeah, Perry, but right? Perry, death. yeah, you're ta- they're talking about a natural death, and you know they they don't they're but they're not advocating that you kill your animals. And I I, I feel the need to be particularly clear on this now, following the emails that we got, because I definitely feel like I didn't do my part last week as the resident animal rights person no, just <laughs> and, and that, crazy liberal on that issue. I mean, I consider myself. A you know pro animal rights, and I certainly am against any cruelty to animals. I think that research researchers need to treat their their animals ethically, uh, and and you know there shouldn't be any unnecessary you know harm or suffering. But where I differ philosophically from I think people who are you know most of the people who get labeled as animal rights activists and associate with these groups is I don't think that across the board animals deserve the same rights as people. I do think that we can apportion rights to the level of awareness and sophistication you know, neurologically that animals have. And they exist on a complete spectrum from bacteria to chimpanzees. You know, 
I think yeah. we can eradicate bacteria. They don't bacteria don't have the same rights that people do. And you can work your way up the chain. You know, insects don't really have much self awareness going on. I don't I see no problem exterminating pests. Most reasonable people do agree with that position. Yeah. But you have a lot of these activists are saying that, that like rats, you know, like we, it's unethical to do medical research on rats even and they wouldn't kill a single rat in order to cure all the diseases in the world. I mean that's a quote. I mean that's that's how extreme it gets. Right. That I think is absurd. And that and I think it's those kind of positions that sort of taint the whole the whole movement, you know? You know, people eat animals, you know, like why wouldn't they Well start they're against with that too, Jay. Th- I know they're <laughs> against it, but like why would they even begin to talk about like people shouldn't own animals? Like the worst thing we do to animals is we eat them. That's true. Start with that. that yeah, they're 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 basically taking the, the multi pronged attack and they PETA gets out there and they get in the public eye by doing things that generate controversy mm-hmm. pure and simple that's what they that's their bread and butter right. so you know on the one Peter hand can go to hell me and my animals are very happy over here i don't need them telling me what the hell they think i should do with my animals i've got four animals in this house when they compare pictures of animals suffering uh some indignity to people who went through the Holocaust, I agree. Yeah, that's yeah. and put the pictures side by side with uh, the dead millions, uh, it's an outrage almost and, and beyond. So they ask words. for a lot of the, a lot of the, the trouble that they get and the bad rap. But certainly, just from our point, we didn't mean to paint every animal activist with the same brush. There's a spectrum, absolutely. So no, and I said last week, you want to help animals join the yes, humane you did. society, absolutely. And I did point right. that out to Adam as well. The article that we we were talking about at the time, and people need to remember this: we we record the show on Wednesday yes. nights. And we were we were behind the curve, like we yeah. A couple of days went. I was going we to bring gonna... up. There actually the, the there's a development in the story that we we reported on. Now at the time when we recorded last Wednesday, what we reported was the only news that was in in English at the time uh, about um, Albrecht, who is a uh, an animal rights activist, who was reported as saying that this a polar bear cub who was abandoned by its mother should be euthanized because feeding it, bottle feeding it is not species appropriate and it would be humiliated. Now what he's saying is that he was misquoted. The, the paper that misquoted him you know, is politically you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum from, from him. And that uh, what he really was saying was that he wasn't seriously proposing that the, that the polar bear be euthanized. He was just drawing a comparison to a previous incident where a sloth cub was euthanized by another zoo. I think it was a, the Leipzig Zoo, and he's saying if it was okay to to euthanize that um, the sloth cub, which I, he says he opposed at the time, why isn't it okay to euthanize this polar bear? It's the same situation. Well, the polar bear's a right. lot cuter. I mean, well, the real answer is that the sloth the sloth <laughs> uh, cub was sickly and not going to survive without its mother, whereas this polar bear cub is doing just fine. That, that's the real difference and why one was euthanized and the other wasn't. So Albrecht, I think, is is wrong on that point. But it, and certainly, it's possible that he was misquoted, you know, deliberately by a politically motivated you know, newspaper. And certainly now he's saying that that he never seriously intended to suggest that the the, the bear should be uh, euthanized. I knew that didn't make sense. It just it just didn't make sense. It's also it's all, but isn't it also at least possible that he is shocked at the worldwide recognition this has gotten, and now he's I, backtracking? It's, it's possible. It's possible. They, they kind these kind of people actually live to shock the world, don't they? So I don't know that that would. 
They would recoil. Yeah, from I give him the out benefit of, of the doubt. But that, yeah, but that's guys too do, much of a does shot. Does Peter really not want anyone to own one yes. pet? Is yes, that true? that's what they say. <laughs> that's just really good to you, Jay, huh? Yes. I think I think PETA top brass are are crackpots, and I think that there are a lot of people who subscribe to PETA and who think of themselves as followers of PETA who don't really grasp how nutso PETA is. So to take the, to take it just one one little step further, then every dog that man has selectively bred, all the different breeds of dogs, all the different types of cats that are out there, they would all just be lost That's right. forever. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. There'd be no more black labs. Just, <laughs> yes, no Jay. There'd be no more black labs. What What are you not getting here? <laughs> they don't want any pets. It to sucks. Be around. It pisses me off. These people can go to hell if that's what they want. They think the whole phenomenon of people owning pets is an outrage, and they want it to end. They've compared the idea of pets to having slaves, which I find incredibly it's absurd. Um, In fact, they don't even like to use the yeah. word pets. Wow. They like to use the yeah. word animal companion because pets yeah. is, is has a lot of negative connotations. I don't like. Animal companion. How politically correct can you get? This is my animal companion. My wife treats their family dog better than me. <laughs> your your Most wife, do, your wife and family are very, very <laughs> in love with their animals. It's true. <laughs> Believe me, that dog lives the life of Riley. Okay, runs that house. So please. The next email comes from Sean Safkin from Denver, Colorado. And Sean writes, Hello, I have been trying to do research into the big debate over the safety of GM foods. In my research, I have failed to find many reliable sources that aren't motivated by political agendas. Are some of them safe? Most of them safe? Are there many that are confirmed dangerous? If you can think or talk about any studies that test food safety with GM crops, it would be great. I would greatly appreciate it. What's, so what's GM, GM is genetically, genetically modified. modified. Yeah, genetically modified. modified. Thanks, Barry. So I think that there are people who are against the very concept of genetically modified food. And, and I don't think that there are any legitimate points on that side, end of the spectrum, to say that we shouldn't be genetically modifying food at all. It's all bad. It's all dangerous. Sometimes it's tied to, you know, a, a mystical notions about what is natural or what is supposed to happen and somewhat hysterical fears about monstrous crops or whatever. But um, those are really, you know, unfounded. There, there are, and, and actually there's, over, there's already a lot of genetically modified food in, in, in the food chain, in the, in the food supply. You know, so we, you, you've probably eaten genetically modified food. That means if, you know, if um, scientists tweak one gene in, to, to slightly alter one protein in a crop, that's technically genetically modified food. Uh, and uh, that's Since 1993, people have been eating yeah. GM Absolutely, foods and if you think about it, in the United States, and, and actually, you know, so at the, and at the the most um, you know minimalist and benign level, genetic modification or GM foods is really no different than uh, cultivation that's been happening for for thousands of years. You know, right? We've been doing it; just yeah. it takes a long time, and it's not very um, it, it's variable. Yeah, I mean, none of with, the foods with- that we eat today evolved in nature. You know, most of the right. Look at we- the banana. Yeah, right. We would never have the banana, which yeah, is the right. atheist nightmare, if you'll recall from Kirk Cameron's yeah. uh, video, <laughs> um, because God designed Artificial. it apparently. But but man, man designed the banana and and you know. corn, corn. We about corn, yeah. corn, garlic. Oh, so Basically, all all cultivated domesticated crops, Twinkies. all domesticated animals, you know, cows and pigs and chickens. Cows. These yeah. were gummy bears. I see parallels between the GM controversy and. Uh, herbal remedies where on the one hand you've got 
um, herbal, herbal remedies, which um, are the supposedly natural and good thing, uh, when in fact they're just, you know, they're not tested well and they might have some good properties, but, you know, we can refine them and we can make them better and we can turn them into medicine and then that's supposedly what makes them bad in the eyes of the alternative yeah. crowd. It's the naturalistic fallacy, basically. And yeah, it's the same thing here where we're just uh, speeding things up a bit and perfecting what we can do with nature mm-hmm. and that apparently turns it evil. Yeah. Hey, do we know Do we know what, for example, the, a pig was before we... We morphed it, it into a, a pig. chicken. <laughs> little known fact. No, there, there, you know, there, there were pigs that occurred <laughs> cool. in nature. They were just a little bit different than the pigs that we have. You know, they they're called wild pigs. Yeah. they're still there. Yeah, there are wild <laughs> pigs, you know, boars, etc. There are legitimate safety concerns to some genetic modification of, of some crops, I and mean, you have to take it on a case by case basis. You really can't talk about genetically modified foods as a group because some are completely safe and benign and others are very experimental. When, when you get to the real experimental end of the spectrum, then we're like inserting new genes into plants and yeah. to, to give them some property, make them resi- more resistant to pesticides or to pests. To Glow make, in the dark. Yeah, whatever. I mean, you could actually do really funky stuff for research. Uh, but to give them properties that they probably you would not develop on their own. The risk is that because of the way that some plants you know, reproduce, you know, they get pollinated, etc., those new genes could actually wind up into wild species. So theoretically, um, we could insert a gene that would make a plant, a crop, very hardy and resistant, and that gene could wind up in, in some weed, which could then grow out of control. You know? So we basically... Un- Unleash this thing into the wild. So that's a legitimate. That doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, but it's a yeah, it, of course. It's a legitimate <laughs> yeah, concern. Right? Sounds like a profitable crime. <laughs> Sorry, just <laughs> inserting my resident hippie comment. <laughs> Keep going. That is Steve. That would be like bringing a, a a plant that's indigenous to another part of the world. Bring it to a you know chain. Yeah, it'd bring be it to bunnies in Australia. Ecology. Yes, yes. We yeah, we've actually yeah, yeah right. you're right, Jay. That's like an invasive species that is. Because we've, you know, people do that all the time. Like they buy trees from China and they plant them, and suddenly they're all over the place. Um, it's the same kind of thing, that, but this, you know, is more of invasive genes, you know, than invasive species. So this, again, this is a perfectly legitimate concern. There's evidence that that this can happen, and even or, um, more widespread than we originally thought. Originally, they said, okay, well, as long as we have a buffer around the crop, then this won't happen. And there have been there's evidence to suggest that it, it actually can happen, even given the, the current um, safeguards that are in place. But you know, uh, this is this is all an evolving, you know, scientific discipline, and the people who are involved with this are, are certainly uh, not interested in, you know, spreading unwanted genes throughout wild species. I think that there's a lot of research being done that the the safety precautions that are being taken are are pretty uh, significant, and I think that we just need to let it progress you know they let uh let the scientists do their job make sure that it's monitored that we are being you know erring on the side of safety so that untoward consequences do not occur i don't think we should shut down you know genetically modified crop research i mean this has the potential benefit from this is is huge so as long as we proceed you know carefully uh, i think that uh it's fine and and again the the end result could be crops that are Safer, more healthful, you know, better for us. I mean, you know, within fifty years, we're going to be genetically altering our, ourselves. 
our babies ourselves. I know this. Is, <laughs> it's funny that people. I don't know. I look at it like, yeah, of course they're yeah. doing that. And but one you know, controversy at a time. It's, it's, yeah. Technology yeah. will be fought every step of the way. Some steps more than others, though. Yeah. Uh, the next email comes from Damien Dodd, and Damien asks. Hi, guys. Love the podcast. Have been listening for a few months now, and I am catching up with all the older episodes, too. Uh, I have a believer friend at work who has been telling me all sorts of stories about conspiracies and so on. And when I heard you outline the classic red flags employees they, they employ, you are describing this chap. Amazing. But one thing has got me wondering. He explained about the brackets on barcodes, and the middle and end brackets are six, and there are three of them. You guessed you guessed it's six, six, six. But I have wondered why this is, as a barcode used one to ten, and logically the, the center-weighted number should be five. However, I do suspect there is a reason for this, and I just don't know it yet. Maybe you could throw some light on the subject. Uh, kind regards, Damien from Shropshire, England. Damien? <laughs> like you don't know. But I, I replied to him, and I basically said it's a coincidence, kind of like your name. And he said, I never thought of that. <laughs> you know. Oh, my God. So this, this is, in fact, the Antichrist asking this question in order to get more publicity. And he shall rise from the grocery store. <laughs> Steve, though, um, it's actually not just a coincidence, um, the 666 thing. Um, it's actually a myth. Yeah, no, you're right. I looked into six, it. It's like the, the, the numbers are not actually uh, on the barcode. They're, yeah, they're, 666 doesn't appear. Yeah, there, there, like are, that there are, in, there in are stop and end brackets. And they, the end, what they use, I think it's like basically just three lines. And those three lines could be a part of the code for six, but it's only, it's, it's only a piece of it. There should be, I think, there needs to be four or five spaces. And then the three bars, and that's a six. And th- so the whole, the actual code for the number six is not there. It's not in the, it's yeah. not in the barcode. But of course, the conspiracy theorists see six, six, six in here, and and uh, they say, uh, you know, some of the sites I looked at who actually take this seriously say that this is just getting the purpose of this is to get everybody used to barcodes. So that yep. when when the then end we'll be time branded yeah, on our skin, when the end time comes, the and the, the right. antichrist has taken yeah. over the world. We'll be comfortable with being branded with barcodes and the number six 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 on our heads or our hands, right? So that that's why. Sense. So when we when they come <laughs> around to put the barcodes me, on man. your hand, that will fulfill the the whole the the, the prophecy of the, of Revelation. Could you imagine sitting around in your living room worrying about getting a barcode branded on you someday? I mean, could you imagine? Yeah, if it's 1939 Germany, oh I'd be worried about it. <laughs> oh, they're going to have a they're going to have a fun time when people start implanting uh, RFID chips into their hands. Oh god. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Barcodes are like on yeah. their way out. So the devil yeah. better get to <laughs> it. Behind the times. Mean, the devil needs He's to gonna be up. using yeah. barcodes. Come on, Lucifer. <laughs> He's running out of time. So thanks for the question, Damien, if that is your real name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's mo- let's move on to our to our interview. Joining me now is Dr. David Seaman. David, welcome to the Skeptics Guide. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, David is a uh, chiropractor. So you graduated from New York Chiropractic College, is that correct? Uh huh. And yes, you've also had some master level training in nutrition and neurology. The neurology would be what a, a, a chiropractic postdoctoral program is. 
different than what you guys do, but it's but it's not it's not a master's degree. It's an additional three hundred hours of, uh, of of just more intensive neuroscience. If you, if you if you can imagine, I guess even medical school training too. The basic sciences they're fairly wide and broad and not necessarily deep in a whole lot of different areas. So you specialize. So the additional hours were just to get more education in in, in neuroscience. Uh, and you also have a column. That where you write about uh, these issues about chiropractic, and you were recommended to me by, by one of your colleagues who listens to our show as somebody who can talk about um, so-called scientific chiropractic and what that is. And you know, this is, chiropractic is certainly an issue that has come up on our on our show before, often not in a terribly good light. But why don't we just start by having you tell me what you think the current state of the profession of chiropractic is, and and uh, what you think, where you think it's going, and what you think we need to do about it? Well, I I, I think we 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 lack a uh, a large enough group of evidence based uh, chiropractors. We still have a, a lot who are sort of encumbered by the dogma that I understand that that, that you all have had fun with before. Mm-hmm. And by that, you think talking about primarily subluxation theory. Yeah, subluxation theory uh, and and all the different things that kind of go along with that that really hold hold us back because you know one's never been measured before or after an adjustment. It was a theoretical, I guess you'd call it a nineteen cent nineteen hundred theory uh, that was really the best effort that they could put forth a hundred years ago. But but things have changed in a hundred years. Back when they did deliver their first adjustment, they didn't uh, Ramon. Uh, uh, Santiago y Cajal didn't publish his neuron doctrine, so they were pretty much encumbered by or, or living with the uh, the reticular theory at that point. So, just again for our audience, briefly, what can just describe what the the classic, you know, philosophy-based subluxation theory of chiropractic is? It's the notion that the that the IVF becomes the classic definition is a misaligned uh, uh, spinal segment that occludes the the foramen th- through which the nerves pass the nerves travel, so you have a misalignment and occlusion, and then there's pressure on the nerve and interference to the transmission of mental impulses, mm-hmm. which are immaterial impulses that are supposedly uh, a healing force that gets blocked. And, and when the healing force gets blocked, anything that is blocked in its path, if you're leaving, say, let's say, the, uh, the, the T5 segment, you're going to block the flow to the gallbladder, the stomach, whatever it might be, and then that organ will suffer. Mm-hmm. And then if you have a subluxation uh, at the atlas, well, then that's when it really gets bad because then the flow gets blocked from the brain on down, and every organ can suffer potentially. Right. Now, is, it, is this what's been uh, referred to as innate intelligence? Innate intelligence, sir. That would be it. Um, so that's a vitalistic sort of philosophy of healing and illness. Uh, what percentage of chiropractors practicing today would you say – still adhere to that philosophy? The estimate is about 17%. I've seen estimates as high as 30%. You think that number is a bit high? It could be. It's hard to say. Maybe maybe the 17% is a really hardcore bunch, and then you have, and then you have people who can blend mm-hmm. uh, in, into that, or they're apologists. I think we have a lot of apologists who don't object to the whole thing, so, so I think that's part of the problem, too. I think we've got 17% that are really strong, and then maybe another 13% who can who can morph into that mode, and then too many apologists that allow it to continue. Right. And, and to be clear, you're a vocal opponent of this. 
Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, to me, to me, I, I, I think it is a dumb luxation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like physicians still practicing the humoral theory of medicine around today. Does quick question? Does the the belief in subluxations and innate intelligence do they necessarily go hand in hand? Uh, no, because the the as time went on. There was a and, 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 and there's also you know some history behind this that's kind of interesting actually that had to do with licensing issues uh, that, that we can talk about in a couple seconds. Uh, but the the, 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 the the subluxation theory, the modern version of it is now nerve impulses, mm-hmm. action potentials become disrupted, and so they've morphed it from a, a spiritual force being blocked to a standard neurologic impulse being blocked so you can actually many have 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 taken this many of the strays have taken away the spiritual uh, association with innate intelligence and made it more of just a you know a, a nervous system communication issue through whether it be axoplasmic flow or action potentials or whatever it might be so they've come to the uh, to a position where it's more of a physical issue but then they, whenever you listen to them talk about it, they always spiritualize it. Mm-hmm. So they're just changing their jargon, but the underlying practice and philosophy is the same. Yeah, pretty much. And to be clear, there's no evidence for the, the notion that subluxations block any kind of nerve function and therefore result in secondary organ damage. That, that's, no. that's pure no. nonsense, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, as a neurologist, you know, I hear that. And I'm like, well, you know, we actually know what happens when nerves get compressed. You know, yeah, it produces pain, yeah, severe and, pain. Yeah, pain, sensory <laughs> and motor symptoms. And they're saying that subluxations, which you can't really verify, are happening in the absence of all the normal consequences of nerve compression, but it's preventing this flow of whatever you want to call it and then leading to organ damage. So it really is scientifically untenable. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. Yeah. So why does it persist? You know, I've tried to, to actually engage these folks. And actually, kind of funny... Uh, the last two days, just by chance, it turns out, or by coincidence, it turns out that I uh, spent maybe 50 emails going back and forth on this one talk uh, list that we have with with a straight, and it doesn't doesn't make any sense. Uh, it, I, I don't I don't know why it persists. I'm I'm sort of at a loss as to the way you guys are at a loss to it, mm-hmm. uh, and and most of the folks who 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 think and feel the way I do about this, we're at a loss. You know, one of our brighter guys says, essentially, you have uh, two different groups that call themselves chiropractors, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and we both look at the spine, and we see different things. And if you, and, and if you look at the, the two professions who look at the stars, you've got an astronomers and astrologers. Mm-hmm. They're not in the same profession. Right. Yeah. Right. David, when, when you were going to school, when you were pursuing your degree, how much of this subluxation crap made its way into the curriculum? Um, we had an introduction to the – for us, it was really more of a history lesson. I, I don't remember – and this is 20 years ago, of course, too. I don't remember anyone forcing dogma on us at all. The guy who taught the history was entertaining. I think he believed it, but I, I had a bachelor's degree from Rutgers, and I studied. Uh, uh, I was going to go into exercise physiology potentially, or maybe do a PhD in nutrition. And, and I and I fell into chiropractic because I thought it was something different than a, than the seventeenth component of what it is. So uh, it, it, it was really not an issue for us. Some schools, and I really don't want to like mention schools. I, I don't think, uh, but some schools. 
unless you really push me on it. Well, we know that. Some I mean, schools, I said before the Life University, right? That's the one that really pushes the, the straight. Sherman College, actually. Sherman College, Life, uh, they're the ones who are who are pretty much sticking with it. Yeah. And you can go to their website, particularly Sherman's website, and you'll see, you know, Dee Dee Palmer uh, discovered that the brain impulses were blocked at the IVF. Dee Dee Palmer, if you read some of his work, Dee Dee Palmer was a brilliant guy. He actually, he was sending out letters to his colleagues at that point, and he called it the adjuster. He would give them sort of psychological adjustments, uh, you know, to try to keep their, their, their mental orientation appropriate. He said... 100 years ago, that the cause of most disease is inflammation, which you now know is true. Well, a lot, yeah. Not... Yeah, well, of course, a lot, but uh, your, your classic chronic degenerative condition is absolutely. There was some really good stuff back then. It just got twisted up by the people who have actually really manipulated, like B.J. Palmer himself. B.J. Palmer said, we only charge by, the, this is an advertisement, we charge by the week. It would be unethical to charge longer because we typically get our results within a week or two. People mm-hmm. get better. This lifetime care for wellness was not part of the historical uh, B.J. Palmer, D.D. Palmer chiropractic. So just to move beyond this point, so it, it, there are basically – chiropractic is really two very distinct professions, the so-called straight chiropractors who adhere to this vitalistic philosophy and then the, uh, the, the rest of the chiropractors who, who are doing you know, manipulation and other interve- interventions for – Neuromuscular problems. Absolutely. Just to yeah. jump in for a second, though, if you were to if you were to um, mute what's being said in a straight chiropractic office and uh, and and then the others, you'd see similar activity in terms of of the manipulation. Mm-hmm. But if you turned on up the volume, you'd hear very very different things. Okay. So and we and we both agree that the the, the philosophical subluxation theory is. Pre-scientific nonsense, and it should go away, although nobody has an answer to how. It's kind of entrenched, and it's probably not going. It's like homeopathy. It's not going to go anywhere soon. Regretfully. We're, we are trying, though. I mean, a lot of us are trying hard. Well, you saw the papers that I wrote. I mean, those are the, the, cur- the curse of chiropractic. That's pretty hardcore, you know, going after that problem. And it seems to me like just for, for legal, historical reasons, you guys are kind of stuck with the name. I know that there was a brief movement. I think it started in Canada, Canada called orthopractic to try to just come up with a different name that's not you know, tied to subluxation theory, and it died mainly because they couldn't get reimbursed because the name doesn't exist legally. Do you see that too, that it's just there's just some legal inertia to the name, and that's why you're kind of stuck with it? No, that one, although it may exist, uh, I've not really encountered that that particular aspect of it. Well, the orthopractic is dead now. I mean, it was it was sort of a short-lived movement to try to say, all right, scientific chiropractors, we're going to start calling ourselves orthopractors now just to distance ourselves from the straits. But yes. it, it didn't work. But So there's no plans on the drawing board or in your circles about how to separate the two, the two professions into, into distinct bodies. So you're kind of stuck, is I guess my point. Presently we're stuck, yeah. When you, I, I realize, Dave, it must be a continuum, but... When you have this debate with straights, um, do you find that most of them are reasoned and interested in the debate, or or are they defensively hostile, or what? Um, most get lost when you actually start talking about the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, isn't that funny? Right. <laughs> you, they just can't hold up scientifically, you mean, with the conversation. Well, if you ask them, say, well, you're worried about 
what's flowing through the IVF. And by the way, there's a great paper that was published, um, and, and this kills the uh, straits also. There's a great paper published in 2002, I think it was, where they, where, where, where they put someone into a side posture position and then did an MRI on the lumbar facet joints, brought them out, uh, manipulated the lumbar spine, put them back in, took another picture, and what they showed was uh, joint gapping, which was which was theorized to take place because they saw it happen with uh, with manipulation of fingers. So in actual fact, it's kind of funny. The the adjustment puts bones out of place mm-hmm. temporarily, mm-hmm. narrows the IVF temporarily, and reduces pain in those who are fortunate enough to have that experience. So the adjustment actually uh, puts bones out of place and causes nerve interference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. The exact opposite of what wow. they say. Right. Uh, let's let's shift now to the seventy or whatever percent that don't practice straight chiropractic that are that are doing um, spinal manipulative therapy and other interventions for more musculoskeletal reasons. And what I found in um, just in talking with chiropractors, reading their advertisements, in looking at the the, the few, very few surveys that are out there, and also in just what my patients tell me who have been to chiropractors, I still see that in that 70%, there's a lot of nonsense going on. Um, yes. There's a lot of prescribing of uh, homeopathic remedies, incorporating acupuncture into their practice, the use of applied kinesiology, which is, I believe, originated within the chiropractic profession, and, and other similar pseudoscientific inval- or not validated modalities. But it's, it's very hard to come up with firm numbers. And it's actually interesting to me that we don't have good numbers about what chiropractors are doing. It's almost as if, I mean, you, you expressed some, some reticence you know, about engaging in a conversation about chiropractic because there's so much baggage. And I found that too. In fact, we tried. We tried to do a survey, you know, to try to, to remember that Perry. You, you were trying to call chiropractic offices, and the response was, "Well, how do how do we know you're not going to use this information to hurt chiropractic?" You know, let me ask you. So, what's your assessment of of what the the state of the practices of in that seventy percent who were not doing um, practicing subluxation theory? You actually did more work on it than I. You, you know, you you tried to do some actual number counting in the survey. I would say it's God, it's a tough one. I mean, Stephen, it's really, really hard to come up with a number. Yeah. I would say that if you're talking about people who are really focusing on um, being evidence-driven, maybe 30% of the, of the profession, but that's just totally a guess, though, mm-hmm. so I don't even know if it's fair to say that. Yeah. But I agree. There, there, there is, and, and here I think is, is part of what the real problem is when it comes to those other techniques that you're talking about. Uh, up at Harvard recently, his name is—I don't know his first name—but Kapchuk is his last name. And he wrote a really neat paper uh, looking at uh, acupuncture mm-hmm. treatment, mm-hmm. and then sham acupuncture, and then amitriptyline, and then and then a, a, a placebo. And pretty much the people who were given the placebo, they had I think 20% had a statistically significant improvement in their upper extremity pain. But what was intriguing was that those who took who, who got the acupuncture placebo, but were told about the side effects of the acupuncture, they actually got the acupuncture side effects mm. even though they didn't get anything. Right. <laughs> and they didn't get the, the amitriptyline side effects. Those who took placebo amitriptyline got the amitriptyline side effects. Right. So a lot of times, uh, as, as you all know, what you tell a patient is pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of uh, w- one of the studies that w- I forget who published this, but uh, the where where the uh, people who were happy with their chiropractor 
and 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 their and, and the approach to care was that the chiropractor talked to them and and told them what their problem was. So you know, if you tell someone that they have a dumb luxation and the DC really believes it, and the patient for some reason believes it, that patient may get better, even though and it could just be thoroughly placebo. Mm-hmm. So when you have those types of responses to care, it's easy to believe that your treatment is effective, as you all well know. If I can summarize what you're saying, is certainly there's a big placebo effect potentially to any therapeutic intervention. And also... Absolutely. You know, actually, we, we um, survey our patients all the time. We actually have outside groups that do this, and physicians generally have this sense, but I actually have quantitative information to back this up, that if patients rate their their satisfaction with their therapeutic you know relationship and experience entirely upon um, the superficial aspects of the the visit did did the physician spend time with them did they get their parking validated did they get their calls answered quickly that's it that's what patients base their satisfaction on not on the actual scientific medical quality of the intervention that they were getting and which makes sense because really unless you know you're very sophisticated or you're a, med- you're a healthcare professional yourself. How do you really know the quality right. of the intervention that you're getting? But, you know, obviously, if you want to be practicing scientific you know, medicine or healthcare, we, you know, we have to actually also be delivering meaningful scientific care. Absolutely. And I'll tell you something else when it comes to the straits and a lot of the people who are successful who are not scientific, they have excellent office procedures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the system flows beautifully. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. And I think that's, I think in alternative medicine in general, I, I think that they've basically evolved to be maximally effective in terms of you know, bedside manner and the patient experience. And they're, they're also unencumbered by having to actually do real medicine. You know, so sometimes I have to prescribe uncomfortable or painful things for my patients, you know, or I might have to tell them things they don't want to hear because it's the truth. That being said, there are uh, some really good books on, on treating the lumbar spine, the cervical spine, and spine rehabilitation in general that are edited by, by chiropractors, mm-hmm. and they have MDs, PhDs, and PTs who are, who are well-recognized in the spine care field who are, who are authors of chapters in those books. So when I see that compared to when I was in school, there's significant progress in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So how, what would you, what's your opinion about the appropriate way that uh, spinal manipulative therapy or whatever other interventions you do should be used in the management of, say, lower back pain? How, what's your approach? Well, it would, it would depend upon what's causing the low back pain. Uh, so are, are you familiar with kind of the problem with, with that, that's gone on over the years in terms of diagnosing low back pain, the term nonspecific low back pain or mechanical low back pain yeah. has been used for a long time? Well, that's, what, that's just saying basically saying mechanical low back pain, although it's kind of easy to appreciate what that means. It essentially means it's a non-red flag back pain. Something mechanically is wrong with your spine. Uh, well, that word is sort of as general as the word subluxation, actually. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with your spine. So uh, in recent years, uh, chiropractors and physical therapists have tried to to, to hone in on specifically what might be wrong with the spine. Is it a disc problem, a joint problem? Is it a, is it a functional um, muscle deconditioning and stability problem? And then target their, diagno- target their examination to bring out one of those problems and then treat it accordingly. Mm-hmm. Typically, if you're going to get better with manipulation, if you have back pain or neck pain, you should feel better almost immediately mm-hmm. in the first few visits. If not, 
is probably not going to be helpful. And it seems about, uh, some, we actually have two dosing studies where we looked at about 12 visits for chronic low back pain seemed to get the best outcome, or you know, or, uh, at least it, it, it plateaued. And then same thing for cervicogenic headache. So you know, if you don't get improvement after 12 visits with manipulation, you either got to refer out or refine what you're doing and try something else, which would be, which is what you guys do. Do you always do imaging before you manipulate? No, no. no. So are you, are you concerned about the uh, the fact that there may be a herniated disc that you could worsen with manipulation? Well, if you have signs of a herniated disc, like if you have, let's just say we're looking at lumbar spine, you got, you know, lancinating pain that's shooting down below the knee. That's actually a, 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 a in, 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 depending upon the case, but that's a sign not not to manipulate. Right. So you you'd rule it out clinically. Uh, you think you think that's adequate, and not you don't think you have to do an image, like an MRI scan or something before manipulation. Well, it depends. If someone comes in and they start to get. Uh, perianal anesthesia, then, you know, off you go for, for a picture, and I'm probably not going to treat it. Right. So clearly if there are signs of nerve impingement, which is actually ironic considering what the straight... Isn't that hilarious? So, and in fact, all the studies that were done of manipulation ruled them out with, with imaging, which is partly why I asked this question, you know, before they, um, at least the, the most of the studies that I've read in the medical literature, they, they screened patients with MRI before subjecting, you know, putting them into the trial and doing manipulation. Um, and that's like, that's like one of those interesting questions. I wonder, like, how much real evidence is there to know if if the absence of clinical findings of nerve impingement is sufficient, or um, do you really need an imaging study? And one of my concerns, even though I, I agree that there is the again, it's hard to put a number on. There's that subset of chiropractors who are scientific. Um, it, my sense is that there isn't enough of that sort of self-critical research going on to like really ask those fine questions about exactly how chiropractors are practicing. Do, do you agree with that, or do you, or? Yes, yes, I agree with you. I I I do agree with you. Count it on that, Dave. I have to ask. I hope the question isn't unfair, but if you had to do it again, would you have gone? Would you go into chiropractic? You know, um, that's not an unfair question because because uh, I actually ask myself that a lot. But okay. here's the thing: I I, I don't want to be an MD. I I, I I I like being a chiropractor. I I I like manipulation when it's applied properly. Uh, I, I think that uh, rehabilitation is a is an extremely important aspect of spinal care. Um, my actually my my main interest really is 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 nutrition and inflammation. So I don't think I would be doing this, which what I, which is what I really like, if I went to medical school because I don't think I would have been directed in in, in that way or would have or would have had as much. Uh, uh, it's just a hard one because it's kind of like you tug on part of your life, and if I go back and became a medical doctor, what I'd be doing now? I'm not sure. So I'm glad I'm a chiropractor. I'm just not happy with the chiropractic profession. So it's a tough one. All right. Well well stated. All right, David. Well, we really appreciated having you on The Skeptic's Guide. Thanks for talking with us. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. It's time for Science or Fiction. Each week, I come up with three science news items or or facts. Two are genuine and one is fictitious. And then I challenge my panel of skeptics to tell me which one is the fake, and you all could play along. Is everyone ready to hear this week's items? I was born ready. All right. Number one, in order to help relieve China's chronic food supply problems, Chinese scientists have discovered how to process panda poop into an edible fiber-rich wafer. Item number two, 
Scientists have discovered a pair of semi-identical twins who share 75% of their DNA. Item number three, Taiwanese officials have shut down a major highway in order to make way for a butterfly migration. Evan, go first. Um, government shutting down a highway for butterfly migration seems like the kind of things silly governments do. So I believe that's correct. Chinese panda poop wafer. Sure. <laughs> poop wafer. <laughs> you, got, you have a lot of people to feed. You got to find things to feed them. So therefore, I will say that uh, the 75% identical twins, that is fiction. Okay. Jay? Uh, I don't think... All right, so what do we got? The panda poop, we got the butterfly situation. What was the other one? The semi-identical twins. Ah, you know what, Steve? You're a tricky bastard. <laughs> uh, I'm just, that's, that's for the record. I'm going to go with the, pan, the panda poop is the fake. Okay. Re- Rebecca, you go next. <laughs> I'm going to go with the panda poop, too, actually, because I like saying panda poop. Okay, Bob. <laughs> um, let's see, identical twins. I'm going to go with that one. Uh, three, I, I, I mean, I believe it. Uh, three, butterfly migration. That makes sense because uh, you don't want cars running into these damn things. Uh, panda poop. I mean, how many pandas are they? Stay. read the whole th- number one to me again. In go. order to help relieve China's chronic food supply problems. Uh, that's enough. That's enough. No way. That's bullshit. No, yeah, we all know this. Panda shit. Well, they're gonna follow the pandas. They're gonna follow these pandas around and collect all their crap. No, I'm saying I've got two in my garage chained up. I don't know if anyone's gonna get upset about that. Perry, if the Chinese are eating panda poo, their ascension to world dominance is at an end. <laughs> I, I, I have to agree. The panda poo sounds ridiculous. Panda poo is made right. of people. It's poo. <laughs> it's bamboo. No, the point is it's made of poo. That's the point. It's poo. All right, so go ahead. All right, so you all agree that Taiwanese officials have shut down a major highway in order to make way for a butterfly migration is science. Yes. In this day yes. and age. Yeah. And that is, in fact, science. What do you mean, in this day and age? It's a good thing that They've scientists can track oh, Rebecca, butterfly migration. And shut up, you. You shut up. I'm <laughs> so sick of you. First Bring of one. We won. <laughs> <laughs> I will kick your ass. Second of all. <laughs> so that one's true. Chinese scientists have discovered how to process panda poop into an edible fiber-rich wafer. And that is, in fact... Science. Thank what? you. Get out of here. I'm eating what? some right now. It's delicious. That's <laughs> <laughs> bullshit, Steve. No. I read the article, Steve. Spanish. That's not true. <laughs> no, that's bullshit. That's true. Jay's correct. That is, oh, that is my little April Fool. Thank it's God. paper. It's paper. It's, it's April paper. Fools? It will be when this goes up. Uh, Come on, it's two days ago. No, it won't. It, that's, that, one, that one's fiction. You guys are all right. Except Lamest Evan. April Fool ever. <laughs> so Evan was the only one who was wrong? Evan was wrong. Yeah, so this, the, we'll get to the semi-identical twins in a, in a minute. It is, it is, the right. story is that they, have, they are making panda poo into paper. Uh, right. It is very fiber-rich, and they have a process by which they could, they could make it into paper. <laughs> now, apparently, the, the zoos and preserves, they have, they have to dispense with tons of Daily yeah. of panda yeah. poop. Look at guano. Really? Bob. Tons every day. And I didn't wow. think the population was that big. 
Which means that number two, scientists have discovered a pair of semi-identical twins who share 75% of their DNA is true. That, is the, that was the, the fascinating one this week. Yeah, I mean, ba- basically, basically what's happened, Steve, if you don't want me jumping Go in. Right ahead. Uh, Apparently you've read the article. <laughs> it's a little too late now. <laughs> I, yeah, right? <laughs> Tough. No, I didn't read the article. I actually heard it on the radio. No, uh, tell it slow. Two, tell two it sperm slow. fertilized egg at the same time. So each, so each kid, each kid has um, identical, you know, mother's, mother's yeah, DNA go back is identical, to the but the father's DNA is what they is have what different father's made. DNA. So it was two different <laughs> sperms into the same egg from two different right. fathers. No, 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 no. Yeah. same father. The, the two different right. sperms. Two sperms, Perry. Two. No, it's two different yeah. sperms. So, so the, the the two kids have the same exact DNA from their mother, but only half of the DNA from their father. Why don't they have double the DNA from their father? Because, here's the thing, that's exactly a good question. So normally what happens is you get double the DNA from the father and the the embryo is not viable and it dies. But this must have split right at the right time so that that each two eggs had the right amount of DNA. So it became you had two viable embryos. So it's just a rare occurrence that it just that it divided up properly so they had uh-huh. the right amount of DNA. Now the other thing they mentioned is that now this could happen more often than we recognize, but how would right. we know? You know, how would you, you could re- have boy and girl semi identical twins. Well And you would think they're fraternal, but they're actually no, 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 semi-identical. No, no, Bob, you're wrong. <laughs> what? It, that's not no, you, that's not what the radio guy said. No, no, no. That, that's how we know that they were semi-identical because they were a boy and a girl. If they were two boys or two girls, then you wouldn't know unless you did a DNA analysis, right? The, 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 but here, both of the, of the children are hermaphrodites because they have half male and half female genes from their father because there was one Y and one X from the two, the two sperm. Right. So, so both – although – one one of the and the, and they noticed it. One one of the children is anatomically male. The other one is an, has ambiguous genitalia, which is the technical term for that. Which and that's what they first noticed. And, hmm, why do they have ambiguous genitalia? Usually, that is the, that is a sign of a hormonal problem. Uh, but that that wasn't present. So that's what that's what led them to figure out that that these that this was a chimera, if you will. That this was uh, the semi-identical twins. Uh, if they were both male or both female, they wouldn't know. These ones are hermaphrodites? These are hermaphrodites, yeah. Uh, they can go F themselves. They- <laughs> yeah. He's been waiting for that one. He's I had been to waiting. set it up. It yeah, wasn't been easy. Waiting three years yeah, to set right? it up. Well, it wasn't easy. You had to set yourself up for that one, Perry? <laughs> gen- gen- the geneticists are very excited about this case because it's very rare, very interesting. It takes a lot to get a geneticist excited. Too, so yeah, this is good. Yeah. Well, actually, they're they're quite excited, <laughs> are they? Actually, <laughs> yes, I'm very oh, excited yeah. about. Oh, yeah, especially yeah. <laughs> about mutant food. Yeah. Mm. They're a lively bunch. Okay, I'm not excited anymore. <laughs> so everyone got that one right except for. Uh-huh. Ah, oh, it's too bad. Oh well, who cares? <laughs> I really wanted you to better. get you guys with the panda poop. I'm a nihilist, Evan. Tonight. You better oh, care. No. I'm, I'm closing in on you and Perry. Yeah, well. You only had that direction to go, huh? Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Burn. Nice. Good one, Evan. All right. I love you, Mr. Bernstein. <laughs> uh, give, us, give us your puzzle. For, actually, first, you. let, get, read last week's puzzle and give us the answer. They got last week's quick, Evan. They did. They got it so quick. They, they got I'm last week's sure quick. I'm not even sure how. I thought I Google-proofed <laughs> this one. But in any case, they're quickly, too. <laughs> 
They got it quick. Um, <laughs> between us, if I raise my goblet to you and open my heart on the grounds of conjecture, what pseudoscientific act am I performing? And Cosmic Vagabond is in fact correct when he guessed uh, tassiography, which is tea leaf reading, for lack of a better term. It actually encompasses not only tea leaf reading, but coffee ground readings and wine remnants readings. Wine remnants. The Who dregs. knew there was such a thing? Yeah, I guess. Yes, right. I thought those were people that hung out at the docks. No, that's sailors. <laughs> <laughs> you can go back and figure out all the clues and stuff, but it, you know, in any case, Cosmic Vagabond got very quickly, and congratulations. That guy has got to be a genius. I challenge him this week. All right. I challenge him directly this week to Let's get have this it, baby. one so quickly. Here you go. Take a rose, place it in lime. The outcome is usually death. I am mired by what Dr. Griffin would say, a dimmer version of a baby's last breath. What am I describing? Good luck, Cosmic Vagabond. <laughs> and just so listeners know, if you're not on the message board, you can email it in to beat them. But they are all over there working it out together. So We've had some email yeah, uh, winners, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So, so give it a shot. There's even a chat room now. If you go on the STU uh, fan site, there's a chat room. You can go That's talk true. about it if you want. Well, that is our show for this week. What about Bob's quote? What about a quote? As always, we close out with a quote from Bob. <laughs> Bob, what do you got for us this week? Uh, I got a quote here from Andre Guide, French author and critic. He said, I like this quote, believe those who are seeking the truth, doubt those who find it. Very nice. Very profound. Good one. Mm. Very profound. Thank you, Bob. Well, thanks everyone for joining me. Pleasure as always. Good, Good night. Thank thanks, you, Steve. Good episode, Steve. Until next week, this is your Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by the New England Skeptical Society in association with the James Randi Educational Foundation. For more information on this and other episodes, please visit our website at www.theskepticsguide.org. Please send us your questions, suggestions, and other feedback. You can use the Contact Us page on our website, or you can send us an email to info at theskepticsguide.org. Theorem is produced by Kinetto and is used with permission. Problems, proof, and the